Today, I'm going to share a little bit with you about behind the scenes of the Drop-In CEO podcast and how we bring great programming to you. What I do, our process is once we get on a call with our guest, we record the episode, we upload the recording to our production team platform, and they do their magic. And one of the things that we do, again, I know a lot of guests will record the intro outside of the podcast. They'll do sponsorship roles. Um, that's not my process. I like to be in the moment. I like to welcome the guests, feel their energy, and we just go right into the interview. And then there's post-production. We draw out from it a audiogram that we can share on social media. And I have an amazing editor who will go in and select a soundbite that just makes magic when you hear it. And this week's soundbite is from Mark Hirschberg. And he talks about don't command, but we need to convince our people, which essentially is influence when it comes to leading them down a path towards the outcomes we want to achieve. And so with that, they give me these snippets and I have to record these preambles for you then because I find that if I record a preamble right after I've recorded the interview, I have not had the time to pause and reflect and then listen again to the interview and summarize for you what I think is going to be the best part of it. And so here we are. I'm recording Mark's preamble. And the thing I want you to take away from this interview is his insights are amazing Absolutely. As a leader, we cannot anymore command people to do the work. We need to share with them through our abilities, our talented, removing the barriers and showing them how that if we achieve these certain results, we are going to achieve the outcome we desire. But I also want to impart a bit of my thought. Influence is important. And that is what we should be doing because we have things that we need to achieve. But might you take that a step further? And think about how we inspire. And I talk about inspiration being subtly different than influence. Influence is one way we can move the troops forward. But pause and think about what is inspiration. And when have you been inspired? It is sometimes based on kind actions, words that people say that resonate, or maybe an emotional connection with you. Those are the moments we get inspired. And maybe we should be influential and inspirational. Let's listen to our interview with Mark Hirschberg. Too many people think of leadership positionally. I have this title. I have been given this authority, and therefore you have to listen to me. And that works to some level in some organizations. Certainly it works very well in the military, but in the modern workforce, particularly right now where we see a labor revolt, people are saying, take this job and shove it if I don't like it. So I can't just say, do it because I say so. I need to motivate them and I need to get them to want to do this. I need to lead through different mechanisms. Could be leading by example, could be leading by tying into what motivates them. But it's about influences. How do I convince these people? How do I convince my team that we should be moving in this direction? Build this product, do it this way, work together following this process. I need to convince them not command them. And that's what influential leadership is. It is influencing, convincing, not commanding. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. 
This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, my name is Deb Coviello, founder of Illumination Partners, and I'm simply grateful that you have joined us on another episode of the Drop-In CEO Podcast. Week after week, month after month, I get the opportunity to speak to amazing leaders, share their insights and inspiration for you so you can build your career and meet your goals. If you like this interview, please subscribe, rate, review, share with others so we can continue to bring you great programming. And today I am honored to have a conversation with Mark Hirschberg. Mark is the author of The Career Toolkit, the essential skills for success that no one taught you. Educated at MIT, Mark has spent his career launching and fixing new ventures at startups, Fortune 500s, and academia. He's developed new software languages, online marketplaces, new authentication systems, systems and tracked criminals and terrorists on the dark web. Oh my. Mark helped create the Undergraduate Practice Opportunities Program, MIT's Career Success Accelerator, where he taught for, for 20 years. And he also serves on the boards of nonprofits, Techie Youth, and Plant a Million Corrals. I can't wait to get into this conversation, Mark. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I can't wait to share this. You and I are so aligned. You know, what did they not tell us in school that now we have to backpedal and figure out how to get ahead in, in uh, our careers? But quick shout out to Ben Baker. Thank you so much for an amazing introduction. We're going to unpack so much. But Mark, if you could share a little bit with our listeners personally, professionally, and the work that you're doing now. I began my career as a software developer during the dot-com era in the 90s. And I realized for what I wanted to do, I wanted to be a CTO, a chief technology officer. The skills I would need to get that role, skills like leadership, communication, team building, even interviewing to hire people, these are things I was never taught. I knew how to create code. I was pretty good at that. But that doesn't get you that C-level job. So I had to develop these skills in myself. And as I worked on it, and back then we didn't have wonderful podcasts like this. I had to really look for resources. I realized these are skills not just for myself, but for the entire team. Everyone on the team benefits when they learn to be a leader, when they learn to be a better communicator. So I began to develop up the skill set in my team. And in parallel, MIT was trying to put together a similar type of class. When I heard about it, I reached out shared some of the work I had done, and they invited me to help create the class and then to teach there, which I've been doing ever since. And again, I share your misery as well as uh, successes in realizing this and how to uh, coach and mentor others. But I'm just going to go a little personal right now. Was there ever a pivotal moment because you didn't have these skills? They weren't taught in school that you say, oh, shoot, (laughs) I hope to never be in that place ever again. There were definitely some of those. Early in my career, I would basically say the wrong thing. I would miss opportunities. I give an example where one of my companies was was splitting in two, and I knew something was going on, but I didn't know what, and I should have been paying more attention. Even more recently, even once I started to learn these skills, I used to struggle with corporate politics. That was probably the last skill I was able to eventually acquire. 
And so all of these are skills that even though we have them, we can still always get better at them. You know, you bring up two really important points that I want to just stay here is paying attention and politics. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm probably going to write an entire book on each of those topics in the CEO's Compass, Your Guide to Get Back on Track. I don't specifically discuss that, but there's a couple things here you'd say about paying attention. Well, sometimes we just don't know what's happening in the four walls, but I started because I wanted to predict. I didn't want things happening to me. I started writing down clues. Well, who's going into whose office and shutting the door? Who went away? Hey, they're kicking off that new project over there. I started writing things down and said, making a prediction. You know what? I think that person's going to leave the company. You know what? There's going to be a major change. And each and every time I looked at that and then it came to fruition. I realized I had the clues and data to be able to pay attention and see what's next and maybe be better prepared. That's exactly right. And it's looking at who is speaking with whom, who's going into these meetings. You might even see a meeting title on someone's calendar. The looks on their faces when they come out of these meetings, who's smiling, who's unhappy. If there are outside parties coming in, can you learn anything about them? Are they investors? Are they acquirers? Are they partners? Is it the same people coming repeatedly? Is it different people? These are all clues. And exactly, if you just pay attention you're going to start to gain insights and that's going to give you an advantage to recognize opportunity or to avoid certain pitfalls. Now to the next point you made about politics. It's not a four-letter word, but sometimes it feels like it. Politics, I actually propose, is not so difficult, but it's about building relationships and understanding. What's your thought? Politics are a useful tool. You can choose to ignore politics the same way you can choose to ignore gravity. Ignore it all you want. It's still going to impact your life. So we have to recognize we live in a world with gravity and with politics. Why not make use of both of them? So with politics, you're exactly right. The way we focus on politics, don't think about scheming and all these backroom deals. Think about building relationships with other people. When you have a larger network of people, we think of networking externally, but it's important to create our internal networks. When you have this internal network of people, you have more sources of information and you have a larger support group that if you are in a political battle, you have more people who can come to your side. More people can say, no, Mark really did do a lot of good work on this. It just got removed from the project report or something happened. They can put out the good word for you. So think about building your internal network to your great advice. It is about relationships. It's also another thing I talk about in the book is that obviously we have to be visible. We have to make sure that what we do provides value. It is so important to have advocates. That's part of the political en uh, engine is that as you move up and they move up, hopefully they pull you along. But when you're not around, if you have people speaking about you, that's the most beautiful thing. Advocacy is an element of politics, but done in a way that feels good. People that recognize you, that you've helped them, you have their back and, not, and they have yours. That's something that we can teach young professionals coming up. But let's go back to the origin story. So you wrote this book because it needed to be written because you've made every mistake. You've seen a lot of mistakes being made. But why don't we teach this in the educational system for which you seem to be bridging that gap? It's due to historical reasons. At the high school level, remember, high school is a relatively modern invention going back only about 100, 150 years. And high school was created because we left the farm. On the farm, I learned everything I needed from my parents. 
boys learned how to farm, girls learned basically how to take care of the household. It was a sexist society 150 years ago. But then when we put people into the modern world, which meant urbanization and into the factories, you need basic skills, reading, writing, and arithmetic. So we created this universal education system to teach you these skills to function in society. But in that society, you didn't have to have a great network or leadership skills or team building. You had to do what you were told. Even the 1950s world, you sat at your desk and your boss said, work on this. And he said, yes, sir. Do the report, finish the accounting, whatever you were doing, hand it back and say, what next, sir? You didn't have these cross-functional teams. We didn't have the same needs that we do today. At the college level, colleges go back about 900 years. Colleges are run by professors and they're wonderful people. I work with many of them, but let's think about who these professors are. They have PhDs in their area. So when you say, I want to learn to do marketing, the marketing professors who have PhDs in marketing say, well, if you want to do marketing, you need to know this and that and something else. Take these classes, the intro, the intermediate, pick a few of the advanced. If you do all that, we will give you a piece of paper designating that you have a marketing degree. And all that says is you have acquired a certain level of knowledge in marketing. It doesn't say you're a good marketer. It doesn't say you're a good teammate or employee. It just says you have this level of knowledge. And colleges were designed for that knowledge transfer, but they're going to need to change because it's about making you an effective employee, which had correlated in the past, but less so in the future. You got me thinking here. Now, this totally, totally makes sense. Again, I talk about in my book, The CEO's Compass. One of the compass points is the past. We may not like what is, but sometimes we have to go back in one's past to understand how did they arrive at this place. So I could, I know I talked about it on a podcast interview that I was a guest on, you know, back in the day, I was celebrated by my parents because I got good grades. I needed to get good grades in my subject matter expertise. And if I didn't, you know, you'd hear about it because maybe back in the day, the village needed you to survive on becoming a doctor, becoming a lawyer. Otherwise, the village would fall apart. It depended on you. So generational, cultural, and it's so important to understand. But now moving forward, knowing society has changed, that being a subject matter expert alone is not always going to get you ahead. We celebrate them. But why don't we teach a program? I don't know what the right title is. A master's in essential skills and human dynamic. I mean, why don't we do that if that's the new norm and we have to operate in cross-functional teams with different skills? Because the professors aren't oriented to these cross-functional teams. <laughs> the professors are oriented to, I am here to teach you marketing. I am here to teach you chemistry. Oh, you want to be a chemist? Okay, we'll make sure you take enough classes that you can do that. But they're not oriented to a chemist who wants to run a chemical firm should learn some accounting. That chemist needs to work with other people, people in product, people in marketing. You need to communicate these complex ideas to non-chemists. That's not in the curriculum. So we are still educating our leaders of tomorrow in an archaic system and expecting a different result. So the career toolkit. You're looking to change the world. You're looking to change the educational system. What do you hope to be the biggest outcome from creating this book? Again, I know you've just published it, but where does it have a place? What are you trying to do? How are you going to impact the world with this great piece of content of all the essential skills? I love helping people with their professional efficacy. Let me give you an example. One of the skills we talk about is negotiations. 
And this is good for illustrative purposes. Imagine you are 25 years old and you have a job offer for $70,000. But instead of taking that job, you say, I'm going to negotiate before I do. And you negotiate $71,000. If you do nothing else, if you sit in this job for the next 40 years, you just earned $1,000 more for 40 years. One five-minute negotiation got you $40,000. It wasn't even a big negotiation. That's $1,000 more. So if you got just a little bit better, you suddenly got $40,000. But of course, you're saying, well, you're not just going to be in that job for 40 years. You'll have other jobs, promotions. In fact, you can earn easily six figures more just by getting a little bit better at negotiating. And I use negotiations because we can see how the math works. We can see that $1,000 multiplying. But the same is true for our leadership, for our communication, for how we hire people, for all these skills. If we just get a little bit better, we have a massive return on our overall success and the success of our organizations. Okay, so I just want to hug you right now. That That is like the whole reason why we're doing this podcast, the Drop-In CEO podcast. I may not know all the listeners, and I can actually see you even though I don't know you. This is exactly what we're trying to do is give you just a little bit of insight one day, one piece of advice at a time to be able to make a difference either in what you're doing or how you show up for others. So love, love what you're going to do. I'm going to take this interview in a totally different direction. Talk to me about tracking terrorists and criminals in the dark world. This must one of those things that you said makes you unique. I'd love to hear more. My graduate work was in cryptography. And that's the branch of mathematics in which we create secret codes. This is how you can enter your credit card online and feel safe. Usually we're doing defensive work. How do we make sure your credit card is encrypted? But for one company, we were doing, think of it as intelligence gathering. Because if we can understand, we'll tie this back to politics. In politics, when you have your network and you know this person is saying bad things about you or is trying to steal your team and take control of the project, you're better prepared. In cybersecurity, if you know this particular group is looking to hack your company and here are their methods and here's how they might do it and when they might do it, you are better prepared. So we did that type of intelligence gathering. And our customers were corporations as well as certain government agencies. How fascinating. (laughs) And lessons that you can bring back to business. I tell you, you know, I talk about curling. Curling is about taking the resources, the conditions, the equipment that you have. Again, that's throwing stones on ice, sweeping and yelling at people. But when you take all that data and information and maximize the skills and strengths of the different people, you get a really great result. So I love how we tie in business and the personal. So I'd love to just go to a point here that you talk about. And again, you have about 10, 12 different major chapters in your book, Leadership and Management. You talk about influential leadership. I'd love to have a conversation about what does that mean? Why is it important? Because I too, in my work, I have a whole chapter around it, simple things to increase your influence. What does it mean to you? Too many people think of leadership positionally. I have this title, I have been given this authority, and therefore you have to listen to me. And that works to some level in some organizations. Certainly it works very well in the military. But in the modern workforce, particularly right now where we see a labor revolt, people are saying, take this job and shove it if I don't like it. In my own world, I work at tech companies. For years, the engineers knew they could literally find a job that afternoon. So I can't just say do it because I say so. 
I need to motivate them and I need to get them to want to do this. I need to lead through different mechanisms. Could be leading by example, could be leading by tying into what motivates them. But it's about influences. How do I convince these people? How do I convince my team that we should be moving in this direction? Build this product, do it this way, work together following this process. And especially for engineers who there's a classic herding cats analogy, I need to convince them, not command them. And that's what influential leadership is. It is influencing, convincing, not commanding. I love this topic so much because one of the things I talk about in my book is just very actionable steps. You know, often as a STEM professional, we are celebrated by saying, here's the information, here's my chart. I'll tell you everything I know about it. Are you convinced we should make the change or in, you know, investment? And they come away distraught and crushed because they haven't been able to get their desired result. And I teach them, we need to, first of all, assimilate the language that they may understand because they may simply not understand your world. And so we need to even give them the tools to say, you know, in the context of business, you see from the data, we're going in a negative direction. It's going to have this impact on the bottom line. And I propose we make this investment to avoid this kind of risk. Otherwise, we're going to lose market share. Oh my, if we could teach our young, talented people to have if nothing else, a conversation starter. That's how you get influence. That's exactly right. Because if you give the perfect presentation in French, but your audience doesn't speak French, doesn't matter how great the data is, they're not going to hear it. And to your point, it is these different languages. The models that I use in the communication chapter, we're going to do a very simple version of that. Let's think about left brain and right brain people. Think about an extreme left brain person. If you need to pitch this person and sell this person on your idea, you're going to do so with a very organized PowerPoint, logical step one, step two, step three, maybe lots of charts and graphs and numbers and data. If you're trying to give the same pitch to now this extreme right brain person, that creative genius who can never keep anything organized, by slide two, this person has tuned you out. He doesn't want to see the charts and the data. He wants that emotional story. So you're going to pitch the same idea, but in a very different way. And it goes to your point of speaking the language of your audience. I agree with you totally. But I want to just do take it down a level. Your book, you know, just came out this year. I'd like to understand the impact that some of your work has made. And I know while the book has just come out this year, I'm sure you've been practicing and teaching others some of these tips or new ways of getting a desired result. So I'd love to know where you've interfaced with an individual team, a leader, where they started adopting some of the things from the career toolkit, and it's made an impact. I've been fortunate to have been teaching this at MIT and elsewhere for 20 some years. And so I've seen at the individual level, people who they have never negotiated before, and we give them the basics of here are some steps you can do, and they get that 70 to 71,000 example it's not just about the thousand. It's opening the door and saying, wow, I can do this. I can negotiate more things. I'm going to get 2000 next time. I'm going to negotiate something else. And so there's been that impact. One of my favorites is a young woman who is afraid of networking because she thought networking was kind of dirty and icky. And once we got her to do the mental shift, because each of these chapters has this mental shift, that it's not about, oh, I have to meet you, chat with you about the weather and sports team and get your business card, but it's about getting to know you 
and the great fascinating things that you do that I just don't know about yet. And then building that relationship in the course of two hours, we changed how she looked at networking and she went from someone who would never want to go to a networking event to now someone who goes there and builds relationships and creates this diverse network at the corporate level. When we get leaders to start to build on these skills and bring into their teams, Imagine if your whole team suddenly got better at communicating, better at negotiating, because negotiations aren't just about salary. You negotiate with your coworkers more than anyone. Better about how you consciously build good teamwork. We've seen massive impact on the success of the teams and their departments and even organizations as a whole. So this is an amazing resource, and I am so glad that it's not just me fighting the the good fight to try to get into our leaders that, you know, we just need to invest in people because unfortunately, the education system has not yet caught up. So we as leaders, when we make the investment in our people, we're going to have to continue to invest. Otherwise, they become an expense when they leave. So I'm excited because it's not just the book. It's not just Mark Hirschberg. You have some other add-on offers I would love for you to share with our audience because I think these are the things that can help convert the knowledge that you are sharing with them into something that's actionable. There is a free app. And this is because when you read a book like mine, you say, okay, this is great advice, but then you forget it three weeks later because you're busy. So the app, it's free on Apple and Android. And it's going to pop up each day a notification with one of the tips from the book. So you look at it, go, oh, right, that was a good tip. Swipe it away. Very easy to use. Or if, say, you're about to go into an interview of a candidate or a negotiation with a client, open the app and quickly go through the tips to get that refresher. The app is completely free and contains a lot of the content from the book. There is also, I have a resources page on the website. And on the resources page, not only do I list a number of other wonderful books, including from some other people who've been on your podcast, like Dory Clark, list their wonderful books I've cited in mine or have just been helpful in my career. There's also a free program you can create in your organization. So instead of saying, well, I have these 20 people on my team, I can't send them all to a two-day leadership seminar, you can create a simple peer learning group where you take, say, an hour every other week. And what you can do is you can use my book, you chop up into pieces, and you discuss this half chapter, this chapter together, because it's in that discussion that you start to hear, well, how did you deal with this communication challenge? How did you face this leadership opportunity? And you learn from each other, and that's where it really comes from. Because like sports, you can't just read a book to do it. You have to try it. And talking to other people is a way, it's a form of scrimmage. And now you can use my book for this. But you don't have to use my book. You can use other great books. You can use a drop-in CEO book. You can use online content like videos. You can use great podcasts like this one. It is about taking content, having everyone listen to it together, and then having that discussion. And that's how you can train up your team at little or no cost. And you can get all this on my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. And that's where you can go download the app. It'll link you to the Android and Apple stores. Go to the resources page, download this free guide, how to create it. All of it's available on the website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. So before we bring this to a close, again, like we've discussed, it's not just technically learn how to have better conversations, how to better network, but it is about building relationships and getting to know people. So we're going to go there. Tell us about how many cufflinks you have 
And what makes you unique about cufflinks? I'm curious. <laughs> I have over 400 pairs of cufflinks. And the cufflinks are not what most people think of. Here's a little square. Here's a gold circle. My cufflinks are food, hot dogs, hamburgers, sushi, bagel locks and cream cheese. My cufflinks are drinks, Coke and Starbucks and bourbon and beer. They are holidays. They are flags. They are hand grenades and horseshoes and all sorts of different symbols. Lots of nerd cufflinks from pie. Not the food, but the number. I have comic books. I have Star Wars. I have Star Trek. I have all different things. And so each day, when I would go out and not sit at home hiding from a pandemic, I'd say, what am I doing today? Oh, I have wine tasting tonight. Okay, let's go get the which wine cufflink should I use tonight? I'd go and get wine cufflinks. Or if I had nothing going on, every day might be National Adopt-A-Dog Day great, I'm going to get the dog cufflinks. There's always something each day of the year, and that's what determined what cufflink I got. And now this seems like a, a fun hobby, but I'll tell you how I got into it because there's a lesson here. My girlfriend at the time had said to me, you need to dress for the job you want. And at this particular client, lots of people were wearing French cuff shirts. So she bought me a few French cuff shirts. She bought me my first few pairs of cufflinks this is before I discovered novelty cufflinks, but I started wearing French cuff shirts every day because that was part of my personal brand. Now it's gone further because everyone I work with knows I have these fun cufflinks. And each day they say, Oh, what are you wearing today? So it went just between, it went just from, okay, Mark is a guy wearing cufflinks to, I want to know what cufflinks he's wearing. And people will always remember this about me. So it has enhanced my personal brand. That's so amazing because actually, as you show up in the world right now from a technical perspective, you are a fractional CTO who has also distilled your experience into a career toolkit and trying to inspire the future leaders. But what makes you different are the cufflinks. Although I will say sometimes when I have a tech event after work, I have to dress down because if I show up to a tech event in a French cuff shirt, and it's a hardcore engineer's event, they're going to look at me and think, he's just some business suit. So I have to dress down so I have credibility in that group. So Mark, you are amazing. We're going to bring this to a close, but I know it's not the end of our conversation, but hopefully the beginning for others to consume your work, the career toolkit. How best can people connect with you and find out more? If you go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com, you can reach out to me, follow me on social media, links to buy the book on Amazon or other places, and of course, links to the Apple and Android store to download the free app, as well as the resources page with wonderful resources, including how you can create this own your own internal development program, all of this at thecareertoolkitbook.com. All right. Well, again, I am so grateful to know you, to share common thoughts, as well as just learning about cufflinks and all the things that make you unique. Everybody has something unique that we should share with the world. I wish you continued success, Mark. Thank you for being a great guest. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass Assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. 
You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.